Hello and welcome to this episode of the Forget What You Think You Know podcast. I'm Katie Goodger, a graduate trainee at the Local Government Association. I recently attended the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26, in Glasgow. COP26 was the 26th annual summit which brought together almost every country to discuss how collectively we can tackle climate change. At this year's event, hundreds of organisations, governments and businesses attended to put forward their case for how best to tackle climate change. From these discussions, agreements are usually formed between countries for the best route forward, and although not legally binding, countries pledge what actions they will take to tackle the climate emergency. The COP26 negotiations went through various talks and the countries involved eventually came to an agreement on how best to tackle climate change. The agreement saw a pledge to further cut emissions of carbon dioxide, a plan to reduce the use of coal, and a pledge to increase money to help poorer countries cope with the effects of climate change. In this episode, I want to learn a bit more about the Glasgow Agreement and what this means for us here in the UK. I want to find out what should happen to achieve these goals in the agreement and what work needs to happen between national and local government to help us all make the change. It's time to forget what you think you know about climate action. I start on my journey by speaking with Corinne Lecary, a Royal Society Research Professor of Climate Change Science at the University of East Anglia. Corinne is a member of the UK Climate Change Committee, which is an independent committee providing evidence-based advice to inform the government's response to climate change. I wanted to find out what her years of research on climate change has found and what she thinks about the Glasgow Agreement that was made at COP26. Corinne, thank you for speaking with us today. Um, what's been happening to our planet and has it been worrying you at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's been incredible changes in the climate in the last 30 years or so since I've uh, myself personally looked at um, the evolution of the planet. Uh, we've seen, I mean, the warming is really, really obvious warming of the planet. We've had over one degree Celsius warming uh, so far. And that's an, it's actually on the planetary terms, it's an enormous amount of warming. It's a little bit like um, if you have a, a, a fever of one degree, so everything is out of balance in your body because that's not your body temperature and it's the same with the planet so we see uh, changes in all aspects of the environment uh, the water cycle uh, sea level uh, we see in the biosphere uh, changes there uh, you've all seen uh, the extreme uh, heat uh, repeated extreme uh, heat records including everything that comes with it um, uh, including uh, wildfires so uh, um, it's really, really worrying to see uh, the scale of the changes and the, and the speed at which uh, the climate is evolving at the moment. Are you pleased with the agreements that have come out of COP26 and what do you think the future might hold? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very reassured with the agreement that came out of COP26. Uh, I think it's as strong as I could have possibly hoped for before going into COP. It's not enough. It's really the starting point of uh, action that needs to now uh, scale up uh, uh, much more rapidly, much more uh, at scale with the, with the uh, uh, challenge itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just sort of the start um, that we're looking at right now. Is there anything that you think they specifically missed or that needs to be done to tackle climate change they didn't at all mention? 
um, there, there is the realization that the action to, in the next few years are, are not enough. That one of the problems of the COP26 agreement is that a lot of the action uh, that countries brought to the table are pushed back beyond 2030, and that is too late, it's way too late. Um, the COP agreement has put in place uh, a new timeline, accelerated timeline, to encourage countries to come with stronger targets already next year. And this is absolutely essential. And it means for countries like the UK, where we already have policies in place to tackle climate change, it means to be uh, more ambitious, to accelerate action, to really make sure that things work, that all the sectors of the economy, particularly transport, which is a big sticking point at the moment, uh, all the sectors of the economy move into uh, low uh, carbon, renewable energy and out of fossil fuels. And looking at this global action, more specifically, can you tell us why um, climate action is important at an individual level, a local level and a global level? So uh, it, 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 the, what causes climate change is the sum of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions that are put in the atmosphere by all the country. So once the greenhouse gases are in the atmosphere, then they become mixed and it doesn't matter where they come from, they just build up and add up and cause further warming. And therefore, uh, everybody has a contribution to make. Uh, this contribution needs to be guided by international uh, agreements like the uh, uh, Glasgow Climate Pact that was just agreed. Uh, but once the global agreement is in place, then it's up to the countries to put in place mechanisms to, uh, to, to, to just put that all in motion. And it's the local level who in fact delivers the action at the end and helps to guide uh, citizens and businesses in the local area to deliver. So everybody has a role to play. Uh, the Glasgow Pact is really the framework, but the implementation is very much uh, happening locally. And is there anything you would recommend um, as individuals and in our local areas that we can do sort of now to get started on this? Yeah, absolutely. So to uh, to accompany individuals, I mean, m most people, I would say, uh, want to do good uh, and it's facilitated when council can offer options. So there's uh, essentially, there's a few things that councils can do. Uh, the biggest hurdle at the moment or one of the biggest hurdles is really transport. So working to uh, reduce car journeys or to encourage uh, people to buy and use electric cars by putting charging points, by encouraging as much as possible, uh, for example, uh, uh, encouraging uh, uh, the traffic to be uh, as, as low as possible and, and, and giving perks to people uh, driving with electric vehicle, uh, local transport, I mentioned, and encouraging uh, active transports in cities. So that's essentially walking and cycling by making it safe to do so. Yeah, you mentioned quite a lot of different projects and strategies that can be used there for, you know, energy, transport, food. Are there any specific um, innovative climate action projects or approaches that you've seen? 
Manchester has been really quite proactive. I think it's a leading uh, area in tackling climate change. They've had a net zero objective for a while now, but they've not only had the objective, but of course they have put a plan and they have started implementing a very uh, ambitious uh, local public transport system uh, that has been uh, really uh, uh, forward thinking in trying to reduce the emissions from transport. I think that's probably the region, one of the regions that is most advanced in the UK. And overall, as individuals in our local areas and globally, can we solve climate change? And if so, what's the answer to solving it? Uh, I mean, individuals can certainly uh, make a very substantial contribution uh, by looking at how we transport ourselves, uh, our, our homes, heating our homes and what we eat. Ultimately, though, it is the government that needs to set the direction of travel, that needs to make it possible, make it affordable for individuals to uh, make their contribution. So it's not one or the other. Uh, the role of government is actually absolutely crucial. And then the individuals can make a, as big a contribution as, as, as appropriate. So it sounds like we all have a role to play in tackling climate change, but we must act now if we are to have any chance of saving the planet. One of the things Corin spoke about was the importance of a local approach to climate issues and how local government can play a leading role in tackling climate change. Whilst I was at COP26, I heard this argument from a number of speakers, including Councillor Pippa Halings, a representative for the Local Government Association. She made the case for the role of multi-level action and local governments around the world should be recognised in the Glasgow Agreement. This was inserted into the agreement in the final draft and was a huge win for local government and all those involved in campaigning for it. I wanted to find out why it was vital that local government was recognised, what councils in England are currently doing around climate change and what role they can play going forward to help us reach net zero. Hi and welcome Councillor Pippa Halings. Why are you interested in climate change and environmental issues specifically? Um, I went out and volunteered when I was in my early 20s um, as a teacher, a teacher trainer, and I went out to East Africa. And what I found there was how, how much people really, really depend on on the natural resources that are around them. And that was, you know, in an island, I was on the Zanzibar Island. So that was on the the fishes and the coral reefs that were there, but also on the, the trees for firewood, for protection, for shade, um, far more than, than we're used to being um, connected to, to nature and wild things. Um, but I also then began to see the climate impacts hitting um people living in countries in Africa and then in South America and seeing crops being damaged year after year by hurricanes and people unable to really get out of that poverty trap because of these you know, extreme weather events and also the flash floods that gave people so little time to be able to save any of their belongings and, um, you know, and their families from those flash floods. Um, so just destroying things around them and even the slow events, which, you know, I've worked with many countries that are small islands and the sea level rise has been affecting them for, you know, over 10, 15 years now. And there are towns and villages on those coastal areas that are being 
eaten up as the sea comes closer and closer. So it's, for me, that was a real wake-up call to see that the climate change is happening, is having huge impacts on people, even though here in, in the UK we hadn't really started to feel it yet. And you met, you were able to attend um, COP26 in Glasgow a few weeks ago and represented both the LGA and councils across different countries internationally. What was your main takeaway from this event? I think, like many, that we didn't get everything that we were really hoping for. Um, you know, the fact that we needed to have much, much stronger pledges from those countries that are polluting the atmosphere more with carbon emissions. We needed that more. Um, but actually, it was better than I was expecting. If we think that just a couple of years ago, with Trump in power and the US completely pulled out of the climate change negotiations, pulling out of international multilateralism um, for solving things, you know, climate change is a global problem that needs us to act globally together. And this is the first time we've tried to do this with over two, you know, nearly 200 countries agreeing a collective responsibility. Um, and that did keep on track. And the, the trust is still there to um, come back to the table. And I think there was enough that was agreed at Glasgow to give us the confidence um, that we can bring that temperature down. And there was recognition um, towards the end of the conference of the importance of local and regional governments and of the urgent need of multi-level and cooperative action in addressing responding to climate change. Um, do you think the agreement made in Glasgow goes far enough to tackle climate change and gives enough recognition to those in local government roles? So it was the first time ever in Glasgow for there to be talk of phasing out or phasing down of fossil fuels. And even though what we needed was those to stop you know, as soon as possible, that was huge. It's a huge tipping point. There were also agreements on, on halting deforestation by 2030. And one of the biggest ones was bringing methane into um, agreements and looking at halt, you know, stopping the production of methane emissions again by 2030. These were huge agreements. What we've got to see now is that they come into each of the national um, climate pledges. And the biggest agreement was that we can't wait every five years for checking on whether each of the countries are doing what they've promised. But it's agreed that they come back each year. So next year, countries will come and show whether or not they have implemented these big agreements that everybody announced. And to also increase the ambition at the moment, if you add them all up, we're looking between 1.8 and 2.4 degrees of global warming if we add up all of those climate pledges made, um, if they were implemented. Um, that still doesn't keep us down between 1.5 degrees of global warming, which is what we need. And so it's really important that everybody has the trust and confidence that this can work, that we'll come back next year at COP27 and try again to bring those even further down. Now, in terms of local government, we were really, really um, concerned at the beginning of the Glasgow summit meeting because there'd been no mention of local government whatsoever. And we absolutely you know, know that you need to involve local government and all levels of government in bringing down and meeting our net zero goals because... A third of the carbon emissions, for example, in the UK um, 
are generated and managed at local level, and that's through heating and transport um, in particular and land use management. And so to try and do that without any mention of empowering local government would have been crazy. And that's why, you know, I was so happy to be able to have the opportunity to be at COP26 and be part of the body representing all of councils in England and Wales. And at COP26, you mentioned about now the recognition of um, nature and how that works sort of jointly with climate change, uh, with the climate to address different climate change issues. Could you expand on that a little? So perhaps first what I'd say is, you know, as a result of our advocacy at, you know, at COP26, we managed to talk to many, many countries that do recognise um, the importance of local government. And we were able to get enough governments to put on the table the fact that we need to explicitly talk about how important local action and local climate action and local government climate action is, that the final Glasgow Agreement does include the importance of local government in that pact. So that, that was a key win by, by all of us acting together within the, the global um, local and regional government um, constituency. So that was really, really important thing to, to achieve. And within that, we are looking at um, nature-based solutions. So COP26 was the first time that the climate negotiations and the nature negotiations recognised that they're inextricably linked, that biodiversity and nature and wildlife will be massively impacted by climate change, but also that nature-based solutions can help us to um, address the climate shock. So, for example, you know, heavy flooding, you know, we know will be um, one of the big, big impacts of climate change on our country. But we can manage the land so that it can absorb this additional rainfall coming through and it acts like a sponge. We can only do that if we're planning properly and we're not building and concreting over the land that can act as that sponge to manage flooding. And in other areas, we've got drought and drought um, and heat waves will be another of the climate shocks. So using land naturally to be able to capture rainfall and let it drip slowly and fill up our groundwater aquifers is a way for addressing the drought as well. And unfortunately, we've just not been doing this um, up until now. So COP26 was a way of saying we must work together around issues for nature conservation as well as climate change um, management. These are, these are inextricably linked, the climate and ecological emergencies. Wonderful, some really interesting points there. And what do you see um, as the priority area around climate action for local government to tackle? Yeah, so one of the um, biggest emissions in housing is around heating in housing. And that can only be managed locally. So we could look at transport. Now, a lot of our um, reduction in emissions, making it possible for us to you know, look at the ambitious net zero target we have, is because we've been able to decarbonise the grid and there's been a lot of um, that has de helped decarbonise the transport situation. But heating in housing is something that can only be managed at the local level. And that's around new housing and that's enabling local authorities to set the highest standards possible for energy efficiency so that we don't have the new houses that are built that are leaking energy 
Um, so we may have the ability to generate clean, green energy for those houses. But if, if they're not built with the right fabric and insulated properly, then we're just going to have to pay to retrofit and insulate them at a, at a later stage to stop them leaking emissions. So we need local authorities to be able to build them to the highest energy efficiency standards, to demand that of developers and to make sure that council and social housing is of that um, zero carbon standard. But the other part is even bigger, and that's existing housing. And local authorities can play a huge role in enabling the state funding that's needed to be able to do massive insulation of social housing, council housing, but also private rental housing, helping householders to better insulate their homes. That's one key, key way that we can do it. Another key way is, is not just about reducing the emissions, it's about local authorities being on the front line to deal with climate impacts and look after communities. Now, we've seen how important local authorities are during COVID and during lockdown and helping to support community groups to look after neighbourhoods with prescriptions, with food supplies, with vulnerable people. Um, so that same role is a critical humanitarian role as well when we have flooding incidents and when we have heat wave incidents and we need to be able to support communities. And um, once again, it's local authorities that would need to have their adaptation and emergency planning working together with parish councils and local communities. So that's a key area that isn't yet um, happening and needs to happen really quite quickly. It sounds like local government can play a huge part in tackling climate change and already getting on with the job at hand. But it's not just down to them. Councils need to work in partnership with local businesses, groups and residents to reach net zero. Everyone has a role to play, but how can we ensure that everyone gets involved and has their say? A big issue that kept coming up at COP26 was the importance of including every voice from the local community, ensuring these voices were heard in climate change discussions and the need for diversity and leadership on climate action. This got me thinking, are diverse audiences being listened to and are we doing enough to encourage this? I caught up with Olivia Sweeney from Black and Green Ambassadors to hear more. Hi Olivia, thank you for taking some time to speak with us today. Could you tell us a little bit about your work and Black and Green Ambassadors? Yes, um, thank you for having me. Um, so Black and Green Ambassadors is a Bristol-based initiative um, and it was started in 2015, 2016 as a response to the city being awarded um, European Green Capital. And there was this feeling that even though that that was a great thing for the city and for the people within the city, it was still the same kind of people and the same communities that were being, may that be celebrated or funded or just included in the conversations around um, what European green capital should look like and, and how how to shape the future around a green city. So it, it was felt that particularly the black community were being excluded from those conversations. So the seeds of black and green ambassadors were started there. Um, so there was a pilot year straight after that. Um, but myself, Roy and Asia were the first year of um, 
the kind of official, the national lottery funded proper version of the project. And it's all about leading, connecting and celebrating diverse community action for the environment um, while challenging perceptions and creating opportunities within um, leadership spaces and traditionally quite exclusive um, spaces as well. So we have community action research or community projects that we run of our own interest. Um, so I focused on clean air um, and we have a radio show. So the project is supported by two partners, Ujima Radio, um, which is a, a black community radio station. So we have a monthly radio show on there where we chat about all things environmental. Um, and the other partner is Bristol Green Capital Partnership. Um, that's that more traditional environmental sector. Um, uh, so we have our community projects, we have our radio station, and then we're kind of given leadership development and opportunities. So we sit on boards and steering groups and funding panels um, to try and shift the conversation from that side. So it's very much top down and bottom up approach um, at the same time. So, yeah. Wow, it sounds like you get involved in so many different things. We've heard a lot and we do hear a lot about the need for diversity and leadership um, in the fight against climate change. Can you tell us a little about the benefits that this will bring and why it is needed? Yeah, so I think um, generally diversity in all leadership is a positive. There's a lot of kind of, I can't quote them now, but there's a lot of statistics and research around why diversity is good in organisations from a resilience perspective. Um, may that be financial or just longevity as an organisation. Um, so all those still apply um, to, to the climate sector. Um, or the environmental sector, I think particularly for climate change, it's um, disproportionately the black and brown community, may that be in the UK or on a global scale, that are being impacted by the effects of climate change right now and um, to a more severe level. So if you're excluding people who are actually being affected by the, the issues right now, how are you going to build a solution that works? Um, and also the scale of change needs to be really fast um, in order to adapt to adapt to the climate change that we're already seeing and also, you know, meet that 1.5 degree or hopefully better target. So unless you have everybody on board, um, the rate of change is not going to be quick enough. Um, I think another reason why it's important is you know, we've tried something where not everyone's included in the conversation and the decisions and it didn't work and we're here. So what's the point in, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome, I would say. Maybe not everyone would see it that way, but, you know, you, if you've got to this place because it has been largely white men with decision-making power and if we're going to have something different, we need to include and I would say prioritise marginalised voices um, in whatever green future we're building. So I think I think it's vital from that perspective. So if you're going to build a solution that's kind of, that's going to work, that's not going to fall at the second or third hurdle, you just need as many voices in there as possible and ideas because, you know, no one person, no one group is going to think of everything. The whole point is that you're putting, putting that all together um, to make it, to make it work um so yeah that's kind of a lot of reasons <laughs> and with all those reasons councils surely have a huge role to play in ensuring that diverse voices and those who are seldom heard in communities um are heard in the climate debate how can councils go about doing this i think councils and so i think local councils are a really important 
they sometimes I feel like local councils are, I was a bit like this when I was younger oh, it's just a local council it doesn't matter what power do they actually have <laughs> but now I think that it is they uh, take a really important role because they're they're a link they have more power than me as a citizen as an individual um, but uh, you're local so you have that local context that and context understanding um, and the link to power or uh, may that be national or may that be global um and but yet you are part of the system so your structures and the you know, all the systematic stuff that happens on a UK national scale is going to be part of what a local council is but in some ways you have I feel like a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more scope to make changes where maybe national politics can't um so uh you could be more reflective of the people that um, you serve. And I think what Bristol's doing, this isn't black and green, but Bristol um, has gone a long way with racial equity within within the city council. You know, local councils hire a lot of people. It's not just about the politicians within that space. It's also about um, all the other jobs that local councils create. And if you start with, may that be gender equity or racial equity in that space, it kind of filters out and it sets a precedent. And um, it sets a precedent for other organisations and businesses within that council area that, you know, this is how it can be done. It's a blueprint. We're not seeing it from national central power, but you can show um, the businesses that you have and the organisations that you have that it can be done. And that and that trickles down. And I like I said, the local of local councils is really important because it's it's going to feel, feel relevant and understandable to people. Um, climate change is much more mainstream and understandable and those conversations are much more part of more people's day-to-day lives but they're not part of everyone's day-to-day life and everyone's understanding and and because you've got that local context and that local understanding and that history um with with people um you're able to provide that um i think relatableness um of what climate change is and the power to do things so I'm not about individual change. I don't think that's going to solve it. But <laughs> it um, it is really important that people feel engaged and like they have power to make the change. So um, local councils are really important in that. May that be telling people what they can do um, or listening to what they say. And I know you can't enact everything, but actually taking the time to listen and and try things out and not just dismiss from the beginning. From my conversations today, I have learned so much more about climate action and what needs to happen next in order to fulfil the UK's side of the COP26 Glasgow Agreement. What shone through most for me today was how important it is for national and local government to work together to help enact moves towards a more climate-friendly society and the need for everyone to be included in those discussions and actions. The changes we make to tackle climate change must work for everyone and local councils working with their residents have a vital role in ensuring this happens. The only way we can effectively tackle climate change is through everyone pulling together and working as one. Until next time, I'm Katie Goodger and I hope that this has helped you to forget what you think you know about climate action. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to our channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a five star rating. Thank you.